Hello and welcome to the Worldwide Podcast. I'm Miles Irving and this week we have the third of um, a series of podcasts which are focusing in really on our sort of nervous systems, our emotional and um, mental experience and how that relates to how we relate, basically. I think it's interesting to to reflect that, you know, relating is 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 really is at the heart of of the matter. And we're welcoming Holly Bridges, who's written a, a fascinating book called uh, Reframe How You Think About Autism, which has applied the polyvagal theory to, um, well, basically a, a different way of understanding autism. And um, I'm not really going to say any more than that because the rest of the the rest of the podcast after my introduction is obviously going to be the the, the conversation and it's it, I will say it's it's pretty rich and it's pretty deep um, and it's why we've left it to number three, even though we actually did this podcast before the chat with Rachel and Deb Dana last last week and we've got one more to go we've we've got a lady called uh, Irene Lyon next week so um, just to say this. Um, yeah, this business of finding out how, you know, our nervous system is at the heart of how we relate to the world and also looking at how with everything being largely broken. I mean, I think the topic of the podcast week after week after week um, is looking at, you know, how things used to be, how things could be um, and how far from that we are in terms of our food systems um, our relationship to the biosphere, um, but also it obviously plays out that that things are broken in how we relate to one another, because uh, you know the global food system and the sort of whole thing of industrial commerce and just how we live on the planet at the moment is something that we uh, we you know we co-achieve. We're coordinating our behaviour with each other uh, to to uh, maintain this broken system, which is making everything more broken and um, also the way that we uh, are not living in a way that's really um, embodied you know we're not grounded in our own physicality in the in the in the fundamentally sort of organic quality of our existence uh, we have replaced so much of our experience that that used to be grounded in our bodies and in the presence of other people's bodies and in all the organic stuff of, of our surroundings with a kind of mental life which cuts us off and boxes us away from that direct experience and that sense of presence. So putting those three things there, you know, like, like the way things used to be, the way things could be and the way things are, I feel like these discussions about the nervous system are making it more possible for me to see this one element of, of the way things could be. I guess what I'm seeing, is, in a sense, you could say I'm seeing the way things could be as, you know, worlds that are, are waiting to be to be born, as it were. And what I mean by that is worlds of our own lived experience, you know, because it's a, it's a, it's, it's a deep and profound thing to uh, explore our own experience, our own felt sense of the world and um, our own stories and, and um, narratives that are connected to that. When we uh, become able to um, actually tell those stories again, because, because we are actually connecting with uh, how, how we, we are in the world. In other words, we're feeling our felt sense of our bodies and we're getting into that relatedness. I suppose the thing is that at the moment, we, we, as we talked about with last week's podcast, there's, there is um, a 
plus side to the connections that are happening across the world through things which are mechanical, i.e. the screens that we're using to talk to each other across the world. I think there is there is a positive aspect that, that I'm becoming more and more conscious of, that there's little dots of people thinking and feeling things around the planet who are able to engage with people um, that can add to their experience and, and help them understand it better. So there's a new world coming in that sense. There's also a new world coming just because we are learning to experience um, these things that I'm talking about and apply them to a deliberate process of choosing to live differently. Now, that, I think, is a kind of radical shift. You know, the idea that you've got people all around the world able to reflect, to look back and to reflect on on the state of things as they are in in a global way, that's never happened before. And there are so many of us. I feel like if we would just, I don't know, push a little bit in terms of our curiosity and just wait a little longer to, to find the, um, you know, the consolidation, as it were, of, of all the little pieces that, that, that we're doing in terms of, you know, connecting to body, connecting to land, connecting to ideas, connecting to a sense that our ancestors used to live in a certain way. And somehow, I mean, here's a thought I've not really explored much on the podcast, but the idea that, that our ancestors have left traces, you know, there's something about being present, which... I certainly believe that presence leaves traces. You know, when people live in a certain way, even if they don't write it down, even if the oral tradition is broken, that somehow or another, these ways of being in the earth somehow leave a residue that can be found. I think that we are exploring and touching upon realms of experience and and and, and being, and then using intellectual tools to to, uh, to to understand. You know, like. For example, the things I've referred to with uh, the hidden realms of, of, of our gut flora and the soil flora, you know, these these um, hidden unexplored realms, unexplored until pretty much now, you know, we have the tools to understand these microbial worlds and these hidden worlds with, with, with um, scientific tools of, of observation and analysis. As we use intellectual tools in that way to look at a lot of these unseen realms, unseen patterns of connections, and to see that what happens with complexity of many things joined together, and I'm referring to many things being joined together, we're joining to ideas, we're joining to our bodies, and we're joining to one another across the internet and and, uh, through these different communication channels, and realizing that we're in lots of different places able to do this without moving, without traveling. So these connections becoming of of a greater quality the system that gives rise to the emergence of a good thing a new thing that which gives birth to a new world um, as i'm talking about now so this kind of complex system is one that just has many different really good quality connections between lots of diverse things in this case lots of different people uh connecting with each other and beginning to connect with um landscapes and environments. So what comes out of that kind of complex system is the emergent property of something that that has never um, existed before, which has a quality that that can't be predicted. So I feel like we are on the edge of these new um, worlds emerging. And when I say that, I'm talking about new ways of being in the world. Um, and, and, And they're not new ways. They are ancient ways in terms of ways of being in the world are the product of our nervous system. So our nervous system isn't becoming something else in, in some massive incremental shift. 
but because we are connecting in many different ways, we 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 are we are going to have something which is which is um, certainly new for this time. And then the thing, the th- you know, for us to be able to be in the in the world in a really strong and connected way. But the thing that will come out of that, which 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 is qualitatively new, potentially, if if we can if we can um, find a way through this to 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 uh, as it were trump these systems of death that are happening in the world you know the 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 the, uh, the things that are causing less connection all the time causing people to be more isolated more stuck in their heads and obviously supporting these global systems of commerce the food system which is causing ecology to break down so like this new world that i'm talking about is it has to trump that it has to be stronger than that it has to be you know something that people enter into more strongly than that but uh the, what is possible by us finding these ancient ways of being um and coming into them in a, in 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 this time in a collective sense and in an individual sense is that it gives rise to to, to ways of being in the world which change and radically shift our ecological relations, and that's the thing that um, I would say. This whole podcast is is um, is aimed at doing. You know that we get back to land and find a way to relate to land in a way that's not pathological. But it isn't just about you know me buying a piece of land in Wales and, and going off there to, to to do my thing. Even though that's fantastic if people are doing that, but what we need is a global shift that makes this possible on a much larger scale. So that's me trying to say, I think there's a new world trying to happen in in, um, in not so few words, but now <laughs> we'll go on and listen to the conversation with Holly Bridges. I've got a confession to make. We've, we've had in mind to start getting some basically polyvagal somatic therapy type people on the podcast. And uh, I had a long chat with Joel and, we, and I came up with this wish list of people I wanted to come on. But when I mentioned you, I didn't think you'd say yes so quickly. So on my, <laughs> on my to-do list was was to get your book and read it. I have to confess, I have not read your book. So <laughs> I've been I've been listening to your podcast, and I'm aware that you're the one that's 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 interpreted uh, autism through a polyvagal lens, and and um, you know I think that's really really important. But <laughs> sackcloth and ashes, I haven't read the book yet. So. It's of no matter that you've read the book or not. It doesn't matter, especially if you've looked at some of the other stuff. So, no, that's all good. That's hilarious. Um, we're at home because, you know, everyone's at home at the moment. So yeah. I've just got a little bit more flexibility. So it was just nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm really enjoying it because I'm, I've am i been travelling a lot and I can't. So I'm just stuck in my house. And we have puppies. So we have six five-week-old puppies at the moment. So we've just wow. been busy being very earthed. It's been lovely. Yeah, really nice. Yeah, well, yeah, it keeps coming up like the last few weeks because we do something once every week. So um, there's been a lot of reflection on what what the whole lockdown is doing. And the, but just to say, I mean, the th- the theme that I'm exploring and that I explore with the podcast is is basically the theme of home, um, one way or another. Um, but we start out from a perspective of 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 the wild world being you know, like an ecosystem that's a home for everybody. So we're looking at what, what people have done that's that's kind of mean that they've uh, they've they've left home, as it were, and become like exiles from their own landscape, you know, like moving away from hunter-gatherer culture and that. And and then there's the sort of uh, intermediate bit where we've we've stopped being at home with um, like more of the, the social dimension, the community and family dimension that we're not really connecting with people like we used to. But the third dimension, which is why I'm so interested in your work, is is the fact that we're not at home in our bodies. And and um, so that's that's what I find really fascinating with with, with what you're talking about. And and um, 
you know, whilst it is is obviously you're centred around um, kind of explaining what's going on for people who are on the autistic spectrum and 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 how that can be sort of not so much more, yeah i know i know you, there's a concern about the language but you know that people's lives can be better um put it that way when 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 they understand the the interface between mind and body in relation to autism but i'm i'm convinced that that, that the, the kind of work you're doing is is very broadly applicable actually um so that's that's my point of interest so there yeah that's where we're starting from yeah it it is broadly applicable and it's why I like it so much and you're right you have to be cautious with language because there's you know different points of view around this arena and it's it's a touchy subject in some places but I like it because it's applicable and what happens when I you know in my book (laughs) I explain very basically the theory because it can get really verbose and people try and be really clever with it and make it you know, really intricate because it is. But when you really simplify it and narrow it down, it's so easy to understand. And then I I explain that to a 15-year-old boy who, you know, is extremely bright but his body will shut down and he'll, you know, can't go to school very well or can't regulate or can't think properly or whatever, can't talk properly. And you explain what's happening. They just go oh that's what it is it's not my brain it's you know it's it's not me it's that my body's dropping out and it allows them to feel more normal which is you know what we pathologize so much stuff and and make it other um you know you don't feel at home in your own body but you don't feel at home in your own culture when people say you know that you're other um and there's a lot of room for other normals are very small bandwidth actually isn't it um but also what it's what it allows is it allows uh, i i find and, and why i initially did it i think was because it allows other people to view people on the spectrum as if they're the same because it, this happens to all of us when your body drops out with grief or shock it's the same thing you you can't think properly executive functioning going so your digestion goes all that sort of stuff so it sort of starts to bring everyone into the same milieu rather than this otherness that that can be very very difficult for people you know especially in your teenage years it's not much fun to be you know seen unlike other people i think that's brilliant in fact i was thinking just it's funny that you should say that exact kind of thing because just just before coming up the stairs the attic i was was mulling over something i was thinking there's a phrase about um you know what's common to man you know like that that actually what what you've just said is that these are experiences that everybody has it's just that like it might be a bit more pronounced but i suppose that's where the the, the idea around what helps to make that less um of a problem you know when people so, are experiencing a problem more extremely and then they find a way to kind of work with that then that is much stronger as, a, as an asset for everybody else that maybe doesn't experience the problem in quite such an extreme way. Yes, yeah, there's an in then, and then there's empathy, and then there's we're the same, and it allows – there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of stigma from, you know, over 100 years of um, certain ways of viewing psychology. Um, so it, it kind of peels that off a little bit, which I like. But oh, I sort of lost my train of thought. I was seeing something I was going to say there. Bother. Ask me another question and I'll come back to it. Sorry, I've got a bit. I got a bit lost. Well, I suppose just to just to rework over the same area is just just like where we're looking at something that we're we're describing as autism and we're saying, well, in some ways that's that's a bit of a downer because 
it, it makes you less able, blah, 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 blah. On the other hand, what, what I'm really struck with, and I haven't, I'd love you to say more about it, is the thing where people who, who, who are on the spectrum, they have this beautiful mind that you talk about, and that somehow, so in, in some sense, they, they're, they're kind of less than in terms of some sort of capacity or way of being. And then the other hand, they're much more than, uh, which, which I guess that's what it's at when you're saying about normal, you know, everyone's got their particular strengths and weaknesses, but, but, but the idea of the strengths coming through, that there's something there that people have an experience and a way of being that's like amazing. I was listening to your podcast this morning. Um, I think it's the last one you did with the chat. Fred you know, it's all about foraging, but, you know, going out and he was talking about that otherness of being out in the in the wild and picking things and that knowledge and that that you have to have a certain level of synchronicity to um to stylize yourself into that it's a very different if you actually looked at it neurophysiologically it's a very different brain body state to be in there your awareness levels what your brain morphs depending on the needs of the of what you need and the state of the body. So when you're in that kind of place, your your ears are attuned differently, your eyes are attuned differently, your your whole physiology is kind of there. And we're not really used to that anymore, as as you know, you're saying with your work. And so for me, it's kind of the same thing, where we we have idealized a certain way of being and it's very narrow but it's high you know it's it's just that western you know 3000 years of western whatever and we've been you know refining it very well and and prioritizing it very well over the last 100 years of high executive functioning articulation all that stuff and it's great but um there's all this other stuff that you can have when your body's in a different mode. And so, you know, the vagus, the, the polyvagal theory is talking about the fact that we can have, the, the vagus nerve allows different modes. You can be in your more ventral vagal state, which is, you know, what people focus on the most, which is best social engagement. And, you know, it's a highest evolutionary function to be able to, you know, use your eyes and your ears and your voice and connect your heart and your feelings and share with people. And, you know, it's, it's allowed by a very well harmonious kind of physiological state. So your gut's in a good place, your organs are generating nicely, you're more parasympathetic. Um, but the the trouble is, what, what Paul just saying in the work that I've, I started doing was that your body can be there, but it also, and you're in charge of it, but it also has other states. So you go into a flight or fight state, you have less control, but you learn how to sort of manage yourself there. And then there's that point where you can disassociate. And then your body, you know, in order to keep you safe, it's a perfectly useful strategy, but it's not a mental strategy. The body will take over and drop you out because that's like a rabbit in a headlights. Or, you know, it, it's, it just takes you out because that's the best way you're going to be safe in that circumstance. And so it's a beautiful way of explaining autism because there's still somebody there. There's still a person in there. It's just their body's kind of gone into this lockdown space. And so that's sort of where I've started from. And I've actually just written a couple of really cool articles on this topic because it was really important to me. So I'm delighted with your question. What happens with the polyvagal theory, because we put it in our normal culture, is we idealize the social engagement. 
So the, the aim of therapy is to get people back up into that best mode where they can utilize their best function. And we, we have a ladder model generally where the ventral vagus social engagement's at the top. And we've lost the language of this dorsal state, which is our deeper states, our otherness states. Wow. And it felt like the same thing you're talking about this morning is that there's, it's just, we've missed it. It sits in the wings and it, it's there for us. And we used to know it very well. And now we don't. So it, it's, we don't even have the language for it particularly anymore. Um, but when you start working with people on the spectrum who's, you know, basically people, the, the, the thesis is, and I, I tend to agree with it, that people are born or not long after or whatever um, in that state. And so they just never learn the other one. The body kind of, you can't know something you haven't had. So if your body's always been in a more or less a shutdown state, it, you can't intellectually tell someone how to come out of that. So you, you have to experientially teach the body something new. But when you're in that lockdown state, it's not nothing. It's a vastness of mind. Wow. And it's it's there where you, you know, that's where art comes from. That's where great, great creative ideas come from. That's where all of our, you know, brilliant science actually comes from is being in that. It's, it, it's not a bad disassociated space. It's just a not um, quick thinking executive one. So the people I hang out with um, sit in that space all of the time. It's just if you can't talk or you can't articulate your thoughts or they don't come fast enough or they're not quick or clever enough for the other people in the room, people aren't going to know what you can do. So, you know, that we've got very lost with being able to appreciate that there's someone in there that's worth our time because you have to take your time with people like that. So it's a really, it's a really interesting place to play. That. I've got it in my article, but I, I, I'm working with a kid at the moment and he's fine for me to, to discuss this. But he's 15 and he, he's in the US. He mostly, it's very hard for him to talk. He can, but it requires an enormous amount of effort. And so um, he's, he's, his body's very shut down, but he loves the polyvagal theory and he does assignments on it at school. Like it thrills him because it explains him so well. And that's this thing. It's just it, it matches people and they feel very well met. Um, and we've been working and his dad, it's, it's interesting working because I, I have to kind of teach the family that what we've just been talking about is true as well because people – that you don't know, you don't know what your kid's thinking if they can't tell you and we're used to being busy and we're used to achieving and we're used to getting our schoolwork done. So it's like it's this very gentle inculcation of this new land to go, uh, your son's in there and he's brilliant but he can't, can't get it out. And so, and then we work at how we're going to do that. Um, but he, he had this lovely metaphor which was I've just realised that my son's like um, our new 3D printer and he, it's so deep and it does all of this work really, really deeply and intricately but it does it all underground and then when it's ready it pops out this finished product and it's amazing but you wouldn't see the workings. And he said, my kid's like this and I'm like some ordinary clunky printer that goes, dee, 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 look what I'm doing, I need you to see me, I need to know I'm clever and it's really shallow, in a, not in a bad way but you know what I mean, just very um, quick, ordinary 
I don't know, now I'm being rude, but you know what I mean. It's that thing. And he, but the, the, that metaphor and his appreciation of it, he suddenly got it. But then this kid is beaming because he's being seen properly. He's beaming because he hears his dad say that. He is, he is because, yes, because he feels understood. It's, you know, you just spend your life not being seen otherwise. Um, which is really hard. It's really hard for people. What I was thinking when you were saying all that was with this emphasis on the the sort of the polyvagal deficit in in autism. People saying, "Oh, you know, you you you've got a compromised social engagement system." And I know Stephen does actually use those words, but but when we when we focus on that, when we look at a situation with with an autistic person that's that's not socially integrated. We see that in very, in a very one-sided way that there's there's a deficit there. Well, it takes uh, the phrase that comes to mind is it takes two not to tango. So you know we, we we aren't able to reach them any more than they're able to reach us. Or, or you know not that it's necessarily us and them, but um, you know. So what you're describing is that that your work is is a very careful and and informed way of finding the path to their door to someone's door you know rather than saying why don't you ever come out and see us sort of thing yeah yes yes <clears throat> so i take a very pure appreciation of the polyvagal theory but i i come at it differently i think i'm on the spectrum so i i feel like that i i see the world like that so it's a lot easier and i know what it's like when you body drops out and you can't talk properly and everyone thinks you're stupid like it's it's a known kind of reality but I've always known that I've got a really great mind yeah so there's a disparity if you if you work with someone and you you don't pretend you believe nicely that they've got a nice mind you just know there's someone someone amazing in there and you know that they know more than you and you don't know what they know, if you start there gently, you it's an entirely different proposition to coming in and going, uh, I wish you didn't have this problem and I'd love to fix you if I could and mm. let's find a cure because it, it just shuts people down at, at a level, you know, all sorts of levels, but some of them you, you can't come back from. If you've started like that with someone, the orientation's wrong. Now it's very wrong. So it's it's really interesting. I teach a lot of therapists now and psychologists and run workshops and it's so hard. If your body's always worked properly and your you know, your social skills are just so, it's really hard to know what it's like otherwise. And it's really hard not to see autism as lesser because and and to just miss the beauty that you know you can you can have so I'll, I'll spend two days on a workshop and with some people they still by the end of it don't grasp that it's wrong to still talk in in cure language or wanting it to be eradicated that sort of thing and yeah. I'm like I get. I think I still get a bit shocked that people find it so hard to grasp. But it's what I'm trying to do all of the time: is find language that bridges it, so that um, these people are more well met with with the people that they're working with. And so some families they'll just read the book and they'll go, "Our life's completely changed." And, you know, they haven't done work with me or anything, but just just that reframing, that reorientation of 
now I get my kid. I get they're not being, you know, demand avoidant and yada, 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 all this language we have for willfully shutting down when it's not willful. It's that you're overloaded and you can't function properly. Yeah. Brilliant. I just I just laughed there because, you, because you've obviously got a prophetic name, Holly Bridges, yeah? And that's what yeah. you do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Ella, did you want to you contribute anything or ask anything? Yeah. Ella, do you know anything about what I do, actually, like in, in real terms with the therapy? Would it be interesting for me to describe that? Yeah. All right. So a normal session when I first meet someone, uh, normally with autism when you first meet someone, you measure them and you tick off lots of boxes and you you read all the reports anyone's ever written about them and you treat them like they're a specimen and then you work out what you're going to do with them. I don't do that. I have a room with a bear that's, I'm only five foot, not very much, that's like half the size of me again and a tent and a uh, big ball, a big gym ball. And people just come in and I describe to them this theory and I just draw a stick figure of of what we've been talking about and say, you know, when things are working really well, everything works, but you drop out and this is what happens. And then I offer them, um, I sort of show them, I sometimes get their mum to do this exercise where you lie on the ground and there's a big um, squishy fit ball and you lie on the ground and put your feet on it and you just pred all your feet in and out like that. And it's really relaxing if your body's in a good enough place. So you do that for a few times and rest and repeat. And then usually when you sit up, it's like you've been meditating for an hour and a half, but you've only been doing it for 15, 20 minutes. But you feel really relaxed and your face looks all soft and happy and it's really nice. So I get I get a parent or whoever to do that. So the person who's come in who wants to maybe work with me can see what it is that I'm doing. So instead of me saying, we're going to be doing this, this is what I think, I go, this is kind of this thing I kind of do. We don't have to do this, but what do you think of it? And then they'll go, oh, that's fantastic, and jump down and put their feet on the ball. Or they'll go, there's no way I'm doing that in a million years. And so then you get a measure of what what it is that they can manage because everyone's bodies are in different states of shutdown, different states of capacity. Some people are really hyper and ping, 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 and other people are very, very, very immobilized. So, and they, But they know what they can manage if they get choice, but it can't be completely intellectual choice. So you show them. And then we just work from there. So we work out where we can start, and then we slowly meander somewhere. So... Um, one of my fun examples that I'm allowed to share again, and, and I emphasize that point because I think it really matters that you're talking about people with um, with their permission. I had a boy come in with his mum, and he he's 20, really big guy, and he, he's, he just falls asleep if he's not coping. So going somewhere new, he just was asleep for the whole session and couldn't wake up. So I had to say can you get your brother to come in next time who was also on the spectrum but older to sit in because if the brother liked it then he might like it but he was not going to stay awake otherwise because he it was just too much effort to even do that so the second time the brother came in and I talked him through it and then when he did the ball sitting in the chair and then he went oh 
that's pretty good. That feels really nice and that's quite clever. So then this other kid went, oh, that's pretty good. All right, I'll think about it. So we, we meander. And then the next week this kid came back and all he did was sit in the chair and put his feet on the ball, which is quite squishy like a pussycat on a fat belly, um, just pushed it a bit and that was enough. And he stopped and felt quite disoriented because the body, the whole vestibular system is held in a certain way and then your eyes and your ears and everything all work in that way and if you shift it a little it can it can feel quite disorienting so that's all he did and then I had a message from his mum during the week going it's really amazing because he's taken a pizza out of the oven and cut it with a knife and it doesn't sound like much to other people to do that for a 20 year old boy but he's terrified of knives and he's terrified of heat so it, that, that it's like that we just do this really gentle work and we he, he now can push on the ball a lot he'll let me do his hand I do acupressure points um he wouldn't let me touch his hands for a long time but now he does and his efficacy in all sorts of ways have just expanded and expanded as he's got better at moving his body into a more robust interesting kind of place cool so it's quite different work and he gets to say no if he thinks it's stupid or if he doesn't like it and then I have to tap dance and convince him I'm worth his time <laughs> so it's kind of fun um, and then I mean he he was at a an organization here for four years the goal was to walk down the street and to say hi to the receptionist and they, because he's got such high anxiety, he couldn't do it. Um, he did that. His his therapist was away, and he, when his therapist came back, he just had already said hello to the receptionist before this guy had come out of his office. And then they went for a walk down the street. Like it, it so quickly the work with me and I had shifted him as opposed to the usual stuff we do, which is behavioral or cognitive behavioral sort of thinking yourself through things. And it, it doesn't change the state of the body. So we don't get very far. And we also have a, an attitude, which is sort of what we were saying before, where there's a brain deficiency. So the goals aren't very high and they're a little misplaced. So it's not so much being arrogant about this work in the way that I'm saying it, it's just I think we've got the wrong end of the stick and we go at it the wrong way around and if you just flip it and you think people are brilliant and then you give them choice and then you do something that isn't too, it's just a teensy bit outside their comfort zone, you you get these miracles. And it feels like miracles but they're not It's because you come back to the polyvagal theory and it makes perfect sense scientifically. There's a couple of things that... The first is that obviously how very, very, very far this is from most people's idea of therapy, which is talking therapy, because there ain't no talking other than a brief explanation of how to do that thing with the ball. And and the second thing is, with our um, foraging thing, we've we've got a little sort of gang of, of folk who connect around that called the Association of Foragers. And we we spent, some of us spent some time just in a hut in the woods once trying to come up with three words that would describe what we do. Somebody thought that would be a good idea. We ended up coming up with, with a phrase, which I'm really, really happy with. And we talk about it all the time now. And the phrase is restoring vital connection. That's not, that's like a 
phrase of completely long words that no one understands. Ah, yeah, but it's not a public <laughs> thing. It's, it's so that we can understand what we do. So the, 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 the thing is, where it comes from, Ella, and it, unfortunately it's a corporate place it comes from, it's called a mantra. And so Nike, for example, the, the, the grand evil corporation Nike, they have, a, they have a, um, a public thing, which is just do it, which everyone gets. Oh. But they have an internal mantra, which is authentic athletic experience. <laughs> so that's what they do. Nike, whenever they do anything, they bring it before the board and they say, yes, but is this about authentic athletic experience? So it doesn't have to be communicating to the public. It communicates to us. We like check it out. Does this facilitate does this restore vital connection? But what I was thinking is we're all thinking about how to restore vital connection with land, but the work that you're doing is restoring a vital connection somewhere inside. Yeah. Yes, yes. And you can't do it without exactly what Ella's saying. If it doesn't make sense, there's no point. You know, it has to be completely relative and, and palatable for the person that you're talking to. Otherwise, you miss it. But, yes, it is. It, it, it is exactly that. And it makes me weep all the time. And I, I've just, um, when, I, when I do work that it shocks me, um, I, I, it, I, there's a lot of joy. I, I never know how to describe it because it's so exciting. But it's actually all it is, which is restoring vital connection. It is. It's restoring vital connection. But because we don't think it's possible, it seems, I mean, most people don't, they just think I make it up or it's not real or et cetera, et cetera. But, but it, it's just vital connection. I have a lady at the moment who's 30, who has intellectual disability, and her mum, we've only had about five sessions, her mum is shocked because she's now asking questions she's in ways she, she just hasn't before and then her mum she's making decisions in ways she never has and it's simple things again like ordinarily she'd just get she'd just have whatever was given to her for breakfast because she wasn't good at making choices and she's 30 and then now her mum said I asked I said the other day well I'm having a smoothie do you want one and she said no I want oatmeal and then went and got her own oatmeal and it, it was stunning. She's never done it before. And so, and, and she's starting to say things like, my toothbrush, I need a new toothbrush. So this executive functioning, this ability to see, see ahead and articulate your needs and um, all of this stuff's coming back online. Yeah. And what we do with autism and intellectual disability is we say it's damaged, it's broken, and it's forever not there. But when you look at brain plasticity, um, function and, and the polyvagal theory together, it, functions get subdued when there's other stuff going on. And so if your body's in a really high alert state, all these mental processes get go offline. And if they've been offline for your whole life, you don't even know they're sitting there and you certainly can't get at them. But you're really smart and you're watching yourself not be able to do things which is very frustrating so it's glorious working with this girl um and you know all my clients but this watching her excitement at being able to be the person that she knows she is without there being a goal either that we're going to fix her so it's this really in, you can't restore connection to someone if you're going to try and fix them like they're a car 
you know, it's that that level of, you know, and then it's really interesting trying to language that, you know, and come back to you would know how hard that is to then start looking at what it is you're actually doing and finding words for it because it's so subterranean. Well, I mean, the first thing I was going to do was come in with some clumsy uh, plumbing or wiring analogies, you know, and 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 thought, well, no, that's that's the whole point. It isn't that these are not single connections. This is not like, oh, you know, your 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 main water main is busted, and now we've just fixed it. It's the intricacy of 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 something a lot more fine tuned and and probably, as you say, hidden. You know. Yeah, and there's so many different when you're looking at the body and brain constantly chatting, like it's one, we are one thing. We don't think of it like that anymore. And we think of ourselves like we're machines and we think the brain's in charge. And if your brain's not in charge, then you, you're not good enough. But there's all this subtlety of, of different neurophysiological connections and, and, and systems that just are constantly chatting and they're working depending on what state the body's in. And we're at the mercy of them all of the time and we we're more beholden to them than we care to think and it's very much like that when you're looking at you know the earth and the kind of things you like looking at we've been dominating it forever and we don't like to understand just how beholden we are to it and just how subtle it is and just how deeply and subtly you have to engage with it if if it's going to produce life yeah, I mean, it's a bit like, you know, yeah, we'd sort of wake up and think, okay, we haven't been listening to this, and, and we prod it with a stick and say, no, nah, it's not saying anything, and then we walk. <laughs> no, no, I like what you're saying there about the subtlety of, of of how we would be able to listen and respond to this hidden communication. It's not that we'd just switch something on and there'd be this loudspeaker booming out going, Ollie, Miles, hello, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it, it's a, it's, I like what you're saying about the subtlety because it, it does make it – because, you know, the problem is we, we come in there and fix it with another sort of uh, overarching scheme that is um, – we love fix-it oh, models. Yeah, yeah, when yeah. you look at the vagus nerve stuff, it's people just do vagus nerve hacks all the time. So, you know, you Google vagus nerve and it's like, you know, put your head in a bucket of water or, you know, that sort of snap yourself back in line. And it's it's how we live. It's an appalling way to live. You know, the body's not like that. If it's shut down, it's shut down for a reason. It needs a lot of care. It needs a lot of support and guidance and warmth and all sorts of things in order for it to safely, compassionately, gently warm up again. Um, But we're so used to being fast and, you know, just that that one kind of focus, which is, you know, worldwide a very unhealthy model. But it, it doesn't work when you're working with people with a really shut down system. So my exercises, like I was saying with the ball one, it looks really easy. If your body's in a pretty good place and you're not full of grief or, you know, disturbance of some sort, um, you're, you'll sit up and you feel fantastic. You do. You feel like you've meditated for ages and your head's beautifully clear. Um, it, you, your eyes literally, because your optic nerve is um, driven by the state of your nervous system, so it, it, it sort of goes and I go like a dial one to ten when it goes really low when you're in a high alert state and certainly in a mobilized state because it you don't need to be taking in vastness when you're trying to focus on safety so people will sit up when they're in a more soft way and get peripheral vision and everything will become really bright and it if you've never had that before it's quite shocking 
but it's still um, quite lovely. If, if it's something you know, then you go, oh, that's nice. I'm back to feeling like me again, This, is, which the people I work with don't have that luxury. But if you do go, oh, that's just me again, what I have all the time is people go, oh, I'm going to go and run a workshop on this and I'm going to teach people how to do it and I'm going to get it done straight away. And it's like you can, but you're missing the point you know and it's there's a whole vulnerability and a depth and a, a properness and an approach to this that we've lost the language of it's it's um i think it's time for for you know the stuff that you were talking about before, in your other podcast and what you do talk about that this language i i don't I don't think we can even make it come back. I think it's coming back. I think we're we're bringing this back in as a way of living because it's it's an essential force that's going to take up some space again now. One thing I had in mind to to mention and it might be a good time to bring up is um so and I, I keep I keep mentioning this book which I'm still only halfway through but there's there's a um there's a book called The Spell of the Sensuous and it it's um it's basically describing how we moved away from an animist experience of the world to to where we are now, where we're um, locked into a an intellectual world framed by human language. So the point really of the book is that, that so-called pre-literate cultures, their whole language uh, and, and experience of life is... Um, based on, number one, a sensory experience of the world, but also an experience of everything else as having some kind of personhood. You know, they, they, they even see rocks and mountains as somehow having, having a being that would, would speak and communicate. But it would, I guess, speak in this, this sensory way. But, but the idea being that um, when we created language, written language specifically, not, not spoken, but written language, we, we created these abstract symbols which only could so this mental space that that those abstract symbols relate to can only be occupied by human beings and so there's something sort of very um insular about that that we've gone in and in and in and in and in to this this sort of tunnel and 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 how harmful that is that's his basic thesis and he blames the ecological catastrophe that we're going into now on that because we we basically became distance and distance and so that's one thing. And then the, the other thing is just that, that possibly we were talking about in that other podcast you listened to, that we've become insulated or distanced or basically unable to respond to feedback mechanisms. So if, if you if you see the two together, you know, he was saying we were in this very sensory world, this very animist world where we, we saw it in terms of a, um, I just want to have that connects to the space that you're talking about when you say people are more in this dorsal space. Uh, who are on on the you know that the perhaps that they're still in this non-linguist non non uh, yeah yeah and still is an interesting word but I, I always find there's do you know the book by Joseph Chilton Pierce um, magical child to magical teen it's oh. a really gorgeous book he's talking about um, how the brain changes over the lifespan and when you're young it's very open and fluid and then as you develop it it gets sort of more concrete and then at teenage years again it goes really malleable and it's really open and these were times when people had initiation mm -hmm. ceremonies and, and mm -hmm. taught all sorts of otherworldly stuff in ancient cultures which we just do not do anymore um, and it, it's a beautiful book and in it he describes 
how there's well-documented stories here in Australia some quite some years ago of people being out in the desert with tribes and a bird would come and, you know, make some noise and someone would go, oh, so-and-so will be here in a few days. And there was no telephones. And then the person would appear and, you know, the white person documenting it would be utterly stunned because because it's unusual um but he has all these stories in this book and it just makes me it's so wonderful because we my favorite line ever is from um the pirates of the caribbean the immaterial is immaterial you know it's like it's not real anymore and it was the british commander going through and that's what we've done we've made everything that is abstract not real but what I think, you know, and other people talk about this, um, I can't think of you right now. Um, the, I think we can get cross that the world's like this, but I, I think we've been in an evolutionary space and we've been refining our left brain and our certain type of brain and we, it's run its course and it can't, we don't need it to do anything else and we need this other stuff to come back in now. Um, and it does, you know, with neuroplasticity, the brain will, you know, defer while something's growing and then it will come back on. And so it's more for me like we're, we're now, and it feels like it, we're now in this new stage where all of that wealth that we used to have is coming back on. So there's this amazing woman, Diane Powell, who's a, a, a psychiatrist, a neurobiologist. She's incredible. She's worked in Russia, in London. She's a, an American. And she does studies on telepathy and people on the spectrum. And they're highly valid studies that she does. And she'll do things like measure a 20-year-old boy's ability to read his mother's mind when he's in the other room. And, you know, they're double-blind tests. They're extremely rigorous tests because she knows how ridiculed the work is in the scientific community because the immaterial is immaterial and it doesn't exist. So it doesn't matter how rigorous her tests are. People just ridicule everything she's saying. But yeah. the data she's getting is this telepathy is very, very apparent and very high in the autistic community. And it's so interesting because it's sort of all sitting there. It's not something you're really allowed to discuss because it's so weird. But I don't know. I went to a, a um, conference in Seattle last year, but it was run by people on the spectrum. And it was in a home and there were only, you know, 20, 30 people there. But most of the people, 99% of the people there were on the spectrum. And it was really interesting to be in a room full of people like that without a ordinary agenda uh, and protocol and all sorts of things because there was a level of communication and synchronicity and sharing that was not all verbal and everyone was very comfortable and no one minded if your face didn't work properly or you didn't smile all the time and do all of those things that make other people comfortable but what was in its place wasn't nothing there was this palpable experience of very high order minds and then the discussion was so much on world changing the world evolution but very high order concepts um and it was a beautiful experience so i don't know i just just i just play in this but i feel like i'm playing in a different swimming pool to, to other people and then I'll, I'll go back into the ordinary autism kind of scene um, and I, it just doesn't it shocks me it's so different to what to where I'm playing 
but trying to teach people to come and play in the deep end, which is what the dorsal is. It's your deep state. It's your ancient knowing. It's ancient wisdom. It's not just a mobilization. You know, it's so much stronger than that. We've just lost the language for it. But I think it's coming back. I think it's amazing what you just described there, because if we start with Stephen's statement about um, a compromised social engagement um, system, and then you put that against, not that I want to contradict Stephen, but it's just like a nuance here, like because he's talking about specific things. He's talking about smiling, eye contact, all of that stuff. But what you've just described, both in terms of the telepathy and that dynamic within within the room at that conference, is a high level of sensitivity within an interpersonal mode. That What you're describing is people being much more able to get the cues. I mean, to imagine getting cues from someone that's not even in the same room as you, you're feeling them. And obviously, you know, I would sort of kind of play around with your immaterial material thing because I think it is totally material. It's just that we can't, we don't have the way to to, to um, describe that in terms of the law of physics yet, but that's just the impoverishment of our of our powers of description at the moment. Now, just, just one very interesting aside, I'm now going to plug the other earpiece in I do wonder how that's going to affect my experience because I know that, you know, only part, in a way, only half of my brain's been listening to you, possibly because I only had one. <laughs> we did this thing where, where you can uh, you chase things with your left hand or your right hand. It actually, honestly, things taste differently if you use your left hand or oh. your right hand. Um, oh, but anyway, um, there is an exquisite sensitivity. It's instead of people are. Um, incapable of feeling they feel too much they have a huge wide wide sensitivity and they get overloaded quickly because they're they're just pulling in too much information from the from the environment so it it, it because and this is why Stephen's work so beautiful because it's saying the affect isn't there because of this it, you know it describes why it's not there it's just we can't help but go into a fix-it model because that's what we love to do but we miss the fact that maybe why it's there is also because this this amazing beings getting completely overloaded with too much mm. I don't know I can't I, I realize I was um I've been trying to put earphones on to do this work online work I can't think as soon as I have it on, I, my ears don't work and I actually can't process information. And I realize my ears go for miles all around me while, while I'm attuning to someone. I, I, I don't know what it is, but I, I couldn't function with them on. It's bizarre. Well, the only reason I've got these on is because there's something to do with our internet or something. But when I do Skype calls with uh, without this plug-in thing we get the most bizarre interference and i never hear it until i play it back so it's it's been so i gotta i gotta have the earplugs in but yeah um the, the other the other thing i was going to say um around the around the thing that you you've touched on a couple of times now just just that, like this deep state this deep ancient state i mean i'd just like to explore that a bit a bit more i mean firstly firstly the uh the stuff about hunter gatherers and so on there's a couple of things I've seen, and they were just like impressions. But um, the first was just seeing some there's some ethnographic stuff uh, of a guy uh, on a boat um, fishing, uh, a hunter-gatherer guy. He's got a spear, and they're moving along through the water, and just 
he's he's got his spear ready and he's just totally poised for action, total attention. He's and and I just thought I'm watching. It's like I'm watching like a a, a panther or something like that. This this is a human, um, but it's making me understand that this is an animal, you know. And then the other one was was um, actually in London, but I saw a group of Chinese ladies foraging right next to the road in, in Blackheath in, in Greenwich. And it just took my breath away because I felt like I was watching, you know, a mountainside in China a thousand years ago. You know, the, the space that they were, it was just instant what, what I felt when I saw them and I stopped and tried to talk to them. None of them spoke English. It was quite fun actually because I gave one of them a note which they gave to their niece and she called me. So I got some of the story about what they were doing, but I didn't speak a word of English. Um, but, but, but that wasn't really the point. The, the real point was that immediate impression. You know, I got the backstory that they, you know, they only recently come from China. Yes, they foraged. They were medicinal plants they were gathering. But I, I kind of almost knew all of that. The yeah. instant I saw them, this is ancient. And, and just their body posture. And, and um, I, I think it was... I think it was possibly the same podcast you listened to, but somebody recently was talking about, you know, this hunched over body posture, uh, which is the mode we're in when we're gathering. And um, it's so, I mean, for me, it's something I've been doing for years, just getting out and gathering and so on. But because I've been doing sort of body work uh, now, when I go out and do my foraging, I understand what's going on and I'm able to enter into that space and just think, actually, I don't know. I was into it like from a cultural point of view and sort of all kinds of ideas. But now I'm realizing that actually the thing I do, the space I'm in when I'm in that hunch over position and I'm gathering the plants and my body's moving and I, I'm just beginning to realize what it is I'm doing and, and, and that there's a there's a space. But um, I'm just fascinated by what you're saying about the different nuances of that space that you're linking this sort of dorsal state uh, to, to that. And you're also linking it to artists capacities and creativity just yeah yeah it's a, it's a completely different zone and if you if you take the the vagus kind of stuff where the body has to be in a certain um state in order for you to access different mental states so the japanese call um call it hara h-a-r-a when you're in that deep state you know they say the will is silent the you know the the, the digestive system is offline essentially the the enteric nervous system is in play all on its own and it's and then porges will say um the enteric signal the enteric nervous system which is your gut is signaling it um messages of safety to mm -hmm. the system so then the system's deeply relaxed when you're in that state your body moves very efficiently. It's it's. I, I do things with my clients where I'll, I've got a bop kind of punching bag, and I, at the beginning of the session, I'll get them to punch it at you know to start with, and then we do our work, and at the end they'll do it again, and their bodies are so much more efficient. And you know, like Zen, you know, you're doing martial mm -hmm. arts or something, they work really well, but it's without trying, it's without using your will. You've got this sort of synchronicity because you're in that space. And I think what you're talking about is a little bit like that. You know, we we think being in a highly sympathetic state is the most useful way to achieve anything, but it isn't. It's actually pushing, yeah. pushing working hard, striving, and using a lot of 
a lot of will and a lot of mental power. Whereas, you know, the Japanese, I think, are more have maintained an, an essence of that balance of understanding that there's more. There's, there's there's these other states, but the body literally has to be in that state in order for you to have it. So you know, and then you say, well, your body work has taught you that as well. It's you know, it's and you you know you can't mentally will yourself into that state as much as work with the body to get it just so, and that actually allows your mental state. Your mental state actually comes second, but we're so used to driving everything because the mind's the best, and you know, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and you're only successful if you're in charge and you know it's very anthony robbins kind of thing um that that kind of mentality which is i don't know he does amazing work i i just come from right up the other end of the the spectrum basically yeah yeah different spectrum so thinking about this dorsal thing so i'm 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 very slowly trying to tackle steven's uh big book you know the the really scientific one which first time around i just thought i don't actually know what probably 65 percent of the words on this page mean and i'm gonna have to sit and look them all up and they're all gonna take me half a day to understand like what is respiratory sinus what i can't even pronounce <laughs> rsa that stuff you know but I'm, I'm i'm sort of taking a page at a time and just just mulling a page at a time to think okay i'll just get my head around these 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 terms then and <laughs> Anyway, the one I was looking at last night was 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 very helpful because it was talking about the neuropeptides and brain regions associated with the three different bits of the social of the uh, polyvagal theory. So the social engagement thing is oxytocin and serotonin, and I can't remember the other one. But the really interesting thing to me was that the dorsal thing, the the the, the shutdown mode, apparently that 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 system, the uh, dorsal vagus, also has. Uh, oxytocin and it has uh, like bodily bodily uh, opiates you know so what's going on when we're in that state i mean for example um but Stephen points out that you know when you relax like for 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 sort of sexual intimacy something like that that's that's a really cool place to be and that's that's a dorsal thing but you're touching on other ones there which which um which it, the point it's sorry the point is that when you first hear about that shutdown thing, you think, oh, bloody hell. So that's what happens when you poo your pants. Yes. You freeze so that you don't get killed and all of that. But but now we revisit this and think, well, hang on a minute. The same system is involved in these incredibly high-functioning, beneficial, very, very pleasant, deep, profound things, which even relate to ideas like you know, mystic enlightenment or whatever, you know, they're, yes, they're hardly, yes. they're hardly the fag end of human experience, basically. Yes. So what you have is you have the, both of them are along the parasympathetic line. Um, the ventral vagus is also parasympathetic and the dorsal, but the dorsal has uh, a mobilization. I think Paul just says a mobilization with fear and without fear. Right. Or another way is high mode and low mode. So high mode is fear mode. So you so all of your organs are still driving really hard, but your but you've your social stuff switched off, and you know your heart rate's still going really fast. It's a very different physiological state to low mode, where everything's gently graded down. The enteric nervous system's trolling nicely on its own. You're in in that place. You're 
your organs are working gently, you're, you're, um, you're making your oxytocin and your dopamine and your serotonin and your myelin because the body's in a good place for it. Um, a lot of my work, I think, is just getting people into that place so they start generating their own wellness physiologically because you never sleep properly if you're stuck in immobilization with fear or flight or fight because you're never generating beautiful, you know, you're not sleeping well and your serotonin cyclical with sleep and all that sort of stuff. So it's there. there it, it is. It's, it's, but it's the same branch. Well, it's a different branch of the same playing field. It's, yeah, it's, it's, mm. and I think this is why people don't really talk about it so much because it gets really complicated. If, if you started discussing it at this level straight away for people, often it just, it just gets too hard and they fall asleep like people do with that book. <laughs> That's so hard to read. <laughs> I Googled it when I first started and, you know, people just going, oh my God, <laughs> that's the worst thing I've ever read. But, but I mean, it has to be that clever doesn't it I mean and it is um but it's there it's there's these I think because we're not used to we're not used to talking about faith in a funny way just as a personal intimate experience of self with nature or higher order it's been subsumed under another branch of you know church and state and all that sort of stuff so Again, I think we've lost a lot of language because that that kind of thing, it's a really personal, intimate experience to be um, in that space with yourself, isn't it? Well, it's in the body. I suppose that's the the crucial thing is that you could be forgiven for thinking that it's, I don't know where it's supposed to be, but not in your body. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And or if anything, your body, in order to get to higher order states your body has to be in a certain place to be a good antenna. And it might just be that as well. You you have to be receptive to something or, you know, open. I mean, who knows? It depends what you think these things are. But you still can't have them until your physiology is just so. And it's that's the fun of it. Well, I just I just think what, what, one of the most extraordinary things, and I'm, I'm not particularly well versed on this, but... I know you do talk about it. Is is the fact that your 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 the microbes in your gut probably have a great deal to do with with our faculties of intuition and so on, and that that isn't some weird spooky thing somebody dreamed up on a new age retreat. This is something <laughs> that, that that scientists are finding explanations for in terms of the, the our neurochemistry and the chemistry and physiology of of of, of uh, these microbes and how they signal the signal chemicals are being somehow detected and and and, and then the the signals are, are are being transmitted up the vagus nerve through our own internal n- neurochemistry i mean that's just mind-boggling utterly mind-boggling but it's hard science yes it is but what what i find really really interesting in addition to that is that our science is now getting intuitive enough, and you're allowed to say that word. 20 years ago, it was like a taboo word because it wasn't yeah, scientific. Yeah, yeah. We can measure things now that we couldn't even perceive of before. So we have, we, we're starting to move out of a mechanical understanding of ourselves because there's this sophistication of complexity. And, yeah. and it's things like what you're talking about and then I don't know if you know much about the fascia, but they're starting to be able to measure the fascia and it's the right. 
Oh, it's lovely. It It's like your internal skin suit. So over your bones um, is this whole other, uh, people call it a cat suit. It's a webbing that sort of holds you up and it um, moves your muscles basically, but it also chats over your whole body. So, you know, what you were talking about is happening with all those peptides and everything and microbiomes yapping and, and everything sort of in this um, – choreography but there's also the fascia which then is the interface between all of that happening and you being able to mobilize and we used to it's a it's a real thing it's like netting so how do you spell fascia holly f-a-s-c-i-a okay so for a long time forever when we've just dissected cadavers dead bodies we'll get the fascia and we'll throw it away because it's dried up and it's of no use and it's like everything else we don't can't understand we go well that's useless i don't know why the body makes that thing then and now we because we can measure it we can see you know see it in real terms in in a live body it's actually filled with fluid and it's got all this structure to it and it actually there's just new research coming out all the time about it now but it it's so highly responsive to all of the things you were just saying that it it's a real game changer when you start doing body work because it it will shrink and dry up if you've had an injury it'll shrink and dry up if you get too dehydrated if you're stuck in a really high immobilized state for too long it will shrink and dry up so it starts to explain why people can't mobilize at a different order level but the fascia is really fun because if you touch one point of it, the entire thing it gets information. It's it's it talks at a, at a whole body kind of level all of the time, and I liken it to with my work when you are storing your jumpers for the winter and you put it in a plastic bag and you suck the air out of it, you know, and it um vac vac right. something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But when you if you just put a little pin prick in it, suddenly it all starts to open up again and it gets full and I feel like often I feel like that's what I'm doing with my work with my clients is they're they've sort of been shrunk packed and so it's not just the vagus nerve the entire body is implicit in this thing but at this really Mm -hmm. beautiful level and you just have to do a bit to start opening up the system and allowing this new information and then you have to go slow enough because new information when you've never had it is highly overwhelming for the mind and if you don't do it with someone's innate permission and curiosity their nervous system will just say no and it won't let you do it so it doesn't matter how much body work you do on someone unless you're engaging their entire humanity at the same time so that there's this high level of safety and high level of permission but then you get to share with them oh look what happens when we do this and and things start to shift and they they it's very visible to them often unless they're very very shut down um that there's changes afoot so and i can't think of a metaphor for that but it's it's wildly exciting and and again i guess bringing back to what we were saying the the world's just shifting because we we're allowed to talk about this stuff now and it's real now and but it's as real as it ever was in a sense we're still talking about something that's always been there we yeah. just have different language for it again, and we're coming back into it again from a scientific point of view. But the fascia isn't just here because we've suddenly found it. It's it's always been how we live. Well, so when you 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 describe literally, I think the 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 um, 
the thing of like a little pinprick causing this thing to to sort of reawaken and, and then become full. I don't know if that was a literal or a metaphor, but, but 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 then you described what happens when you're able to engage with people on a particular level. So it seemed to me that that was the pinprick, if you see what I mean. Oh, but, it's both. I because I yeah, do acupressure yeah. points. Oh, okay. I, I, I could just do do a little bit like this, but if you just did that to someone without context, I don't think it would do very much. You know, there's many levels of working. Okay, but yeah. I feel like physiologically just doing something like that, like finding some of these points, um, seem to allow the entire system to open and soften. Right, 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 right. And what happened was I had a guy in a wheelchair at a staff um, workshop and I couldn't do my ball exercise and stuff with him. So I was running around trying to find something to be of use for the workshop for him. And I looked at hands and according to um, acupressure points, all of the cranial nerves are on the fingers. So I got really excited and started to play around with what what that might be and then did my own style of, you know, rummaging around with things. And it's it felt really good and i went to this workshop and we we did a session with with everyone on the hands and at the end of the workshop he said i know it sounds really funny but i've got tingling in my feet and i haven't felt that for 20 years because he's got spina bifida so there was a way in which it had allowed a softening and a softening then allows on as a domino effect the vagus nerve to settle into a more parasympathetic state in good immobilization or low or mobilization without fear and then that allows communication to go up and down the body again via the vagus nerve via the spine because the spine will shut off information to the brain under duress as well so it was it was fun it was fascinating but i do it all the time now and for some people that's all we do because they can't tolerate anything else so what what sort of things do you do with the with the fingers? Um, are, you, are you using needles or are you No, just hands. Just just yeah. acupressure. So just with my hand or the I teach people to to do it for themselves and they'll just um <clears throat> rub a point and hold it. And then what you're doing is you're you're listening. It's really again really hard to find language for it. But when you teach parents how to do it with their kids, for example, they're like takes ages and then they go oh I know what you mean because this energy kind of pops up underneath it and it starts to shift and you can feel a change and I think it's like the fascia underneath is one way of describing it has been so constricted um, especially in the hands because as soon as you go into flight or fight your hands tense you get ready to you know to run or you know punch or whatever so a lot of my clients hands are very clawed and so physiologically the fascia would then be fairly tight and probably quite dehydrated so you you're shifting that at this level and it softens and and there becomes energy flow or i don't use the word chi or anything I've, i just find it not language we understand you know yeah familiar. and then not everybody can join in if you start using that language. No, yeah. no exactly it's irrelevant you know so it's it's irrelevant um but there's something there because it's not only at that point that it becomes different the person changes and they'll, their face might get more flushed and their eyes might get more relaxed and they start breathing better and things shift because you're playing with signaling across the whole body. And as soon as you get a point of the body start to truly relax, it signals to the rest of the body and it goes to the gut first well before the brain 
everything's okay. And then the gut sends signals up to the brain via the vagus nerve, via the spinal cord, yep, everything's all right. And it's they start to learn how to be in a body that's in that kind of place. And mm. you just normalize that and that becomes your baseline. And then the next time you work, you find another space that's even softer so that they become familiar with being in a good place and it become more robust because the you know one client says it's like I've got more gears on my bike yeah. so instead of always being in high you've got you know five gears 10 gears and you keep adding in more what this is making me think of is is I've been sort of pondering on um, a couple of different things and 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 sort of metaphors for them so that basically the two, two things are rootedness and and um openness and i've been trying to make sense of the kind of the paradox there you know like we we we'd really like to be more rooted and we can recognize rootedness as being this incredibly healthy and 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 basic i mean just look at a tree that's that's essential you know and and and, and it'll stand up in the wind it will be able to draw what it needs from the soil all of that stuff um because it's rooted but if it was only rooted it, it still wouldn't be alive or very good. So it needs to have branches reaching out and then leaves unfolding and pointed up towards sun and, and open to air. And and so there's this sort of openness and reaching out thing, which that's that's. But I've been kind of seeing how that comes together a little bit this week, just meditating on what, what, what a tree or a plant is like, you know. But um, what I'm sort of thinking about with, 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 with what you're explaining there is that somehow there is this back and forth you know we become a little bit more rooted and then we become a little bit more open so you when you're doing that thing with someone's fingers you're getting them sort of rooted in their body in a sense or all the work you're doing is, is getting people rooted in their body but it's also opening up to a sensitivity somehow though that sensitivity then feeds back into making people more rooted but it's 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 i guess what where i'm going with it slightly is what we've been talking about with the, with the sort of heightened sensitivity and heightened capacities when people are really strongly grounded in that um, dorsal thing. Those are the underground roots. I mean, I've never seen that before. It's entirely new for me to, to talk about this dorsal thing and, and start to contemplate that that's the underground, that's the roots, you know. And then once once that's something that is um, that is being properly inhabited and is able to work with, rather than being locked away, you know, a more sort of surface level experience and, and, and then is interfaced into the surface level experience of our interpersonal connections and our function, functionality of our work. Because, you know, at the risk of going off on a tangent, I know that, that there are issues about people being able to connect to their environment because because of this body shutdown thing. Um, but, but, but once that's, that's, that's been, 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 been sort of reintegrated, rather than fixed but like reintegrated with with the external thing you know by, by people being present in their body but what happens is this ability that they they have these faculties that then can reach out and 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 touch and interface with um with the external world so that whether that's in the in the realm of interpersonal communication or ideas or um creativity i just you know i'm just i'm just yeah, I'm just uh, that's what's springing to mind with yeah with, um... yeah. So you know, at a at a social engagement kind of level, if your eyes are always uh, if if you don't have peripheral vision and you've never had it, you don't even know you don't have it. But 
when you have peripheral vision, your your ears then chat to your eyes really well. So you can mo- mobilize yourself, you know, walk walk through down the street and your eyes will shift from side to side and dilate and close depending on what you're looking at and then send information and your ears and your eyes. Like if you move your eyes side to side, you actually activate your eardrums. There's, there's all this huh. choreography that goes on all of the time that then sends messages to the gut and then back up again and, and the feet are constantly sending messages and you're getting all this motion sensors and all sorts of you know signaling that allows you to engage with your world if that's never quite worked very well you know and you can go faulty mechanism if you want to but in some respects it's quite pleasant to know you've just got a faulty mechanism rather than your whole brain's not working you you are putting that software back online for people if if you can start then operating in the world with that online, you are more robust because you can you can mobilize quicker. You, you know, it's really hard if you're a teenage boy in particular, but girl of course as well. But you know, it's, it was particularly sorry for boys when we have such a culture of they're supposed to be able to, you know, be you know, strong and yada, yada, all that sort of stuff. And then you know your body won't work efficiently and fast if you need it to. You can't mobilise it quick enough. It's a, it's a horrible feeling, let alone the intellectual stuff is often not fast either, even though you're brilliant. So getting all of that working is great. But if we do it at the expense of the dorsal, you've missed something, which is, you know, the whole point. You want to be this whole tree. So the fun of my work is... You're not just paying lip service to it or even honouring it, but just getting the whole tree working so that so that these people bring the beauty and the wealth of what they've got to the world through, you know, through those top branches, through to the sunshine because it's nice to feel the sunshine and be able to waft around in the breeze. But the world then gets something quite wonderful because there's this mm-hmm. this fullness and this knowledge and capacity for knowledge that is vast and there is a vastness of mind and and it's chicken and the egg whether it you know where it comes from but it's there um it, you know it can be created by a highly constricted mind over 30 years might do that but then you know you meet some kids and they're five and they're utterly brilliant you know so it's where did that come from I, you know it's quite wonderful mm. but we reduce all of that with our current autism therapies to the social you know teaching people how to shake hands and make eye contact and and tie their shoelaces kind of stuff and yeah, yeah. miss miss the wealth that's that we could be playing around with i suppose one of the things that i'm trying to dig out is is uh whether you know, listening to listening to, first of all to Stephen's um, thing on social engagement to say, well, this is this is the advanced thing that mammals have ended up doing. They can they can have this two-way thing, and and this this sort of safe space of of one and the other having this reciprocity going back and forth and, and so on. But you know, it relates back to that thought about animism and 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 so on from from earlier there's a social engagement thing, a two-wayness, a reciprocity, and there's a, the I move you and you move me about the cosmos or about me and my body, you know, those, those, those things. And that, is it possible that people on the spectrum are actually more finely attuned to a back and forthness there is that they're not, they're not, they're not, um, they're not in this thing of, I can't be back and forth. 
because I'm not very good with this sort of smiling and eye contact thing. But I've got this other back and forthness thing, which means that I'm, I'm, I have, because, you know, I'm firmly convinced that what knowledge is, is this, is this kind of, it is a kind of union thing. It is, 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 is a, um, you, you only really know something if you've danced with it kind of thing. If you see what I mean, that's knowledge. It's in the dance, you know, and, 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 the, and so, you know, if someone knows something that I've done, that means that they can dance with something that I can't, you know. So do, do you see what I mean? That it's not just in the social sphere to be reciprocal and, and therefore there's a whole way of being, which is maybe very, very strong, yes. but it's still reciprocal. Whereas autism is not a, a, an inability in that case to move in reciprocity. It's just in certain kinds of interpersonal space with other humans, there's, there's a kind of lack of capacity potentially. Yes. But, yeah, a hundred percent. It's it, that's what it is, um, and it's interesting when you you look at how much people chat online. You know, when when they can type and 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 communicate and stuff. There's there's all sorts of social context going on. There's all sorts of sharing. There is all sorts of knowing, but it's knowing at a deeper level. You know, and again, you're you're finding trying to find ways to articulate it and it's it's so hard but yes it's there it's as real it's a whole nother world it's a whole nother space to sit in and explore and um it, it's why you know i was saying earlier with with writing this article and then this kid felt so well met because because yeah. he lives in that world. and we're not trying to take him out of it we're trying to see him where he is and there's a lot of people around the world living like that and yeah. it's it's fundamental which is what you're saying it's 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 a fundamental aspect of life um that we just have not been paying attention to for a long time yeah so the only thing i'll add i guess with porges work is that he he is like people people have run with the social engagement stuff because it's easy and the other stuff's really complicated. It's really hard to think about the body, you know, but he's he's talking about neuroception. He's talking about states of safety. He's talking about the fact that we, you know, unconsciously, subconsciously are eliciting information from each other where we are talking and responding all of the time to each other subliminally. So right. at, even at that point, he's actually marking that. It's just that he doesn't go into this other realm, but it's not really the sphere of his work, I guess, but he's very much talking about us being connected at really subterranean levels because the whole idea of neuroception is that, that, you know, your, your, your facial affect will then um, drive and elicit certain responses in someone else. It will set off a whole lot of body chemistry that will then tell that person whether they're safe or not in your company. And they've got no idea it's going on. Yeah. People on the spectrum are highly attuned to all of that and more impervious to it in a sense. They don't rely on that stuff as much. They're, they're heightened, much more aware in a much more heightened way of all of that and read differently. So, you know, the, a lot of the stuff with the therapy is, you know, you have to, with the polyvagal stuff, you have to learn how to elicit safety in someone and smile appropriately and be nice and safe so then they can feel safe and I find a lot of it quite manufactured because yeah. it's you if you actually just feel safe and you're fine in your own body and you're comfortable with what you're doing and you don't care if you make a mistake and you don't care if you're useless in the whole session um, it, there's a level of comfort there that you 
you're just allowing for the other person and they will read that faster than anything. It, it's not whether you're agreeable in your facial yeah, features. Yeah. And we, we miss all of it's, that. His work talks about it, but we, we don't go there. Yeah, it's funny. That kind of reminds me when I, when I do the introductions to these podcasts, I've stopped ever editing them because that whole thing that I might edit it creates this sort of inauthentic thing. So I just think I'm going to press record. And even if I fumble and mumble and say, oh, I can't remember his name and, and, and this kind of stuff that makes me look very unprofessional, I deliberately leave all that in because then I know when I sit and press record, I will just be myself rather than, than, than getting tied up in knots. And then it might be much nicer to listen to. Sort of yes, thing, yeah. exactly. Exactly. And I look ridiculous on most of my podcasts <laughs> and my hair always looks terrible and but I but there's an authenticity there then that uh, people are then allowed to see you and then they're allowed to hear what you've got to say and and it's it's there it's it's interesting I mean some people won't some people would disregard it straight away because it's not polished yeah. but a lot of people don't because they it allows safety yeah the other thing that was making me think of was uh, when when um, my little boy is being a bit sort of wild and, and needs calming down. Yeah, and if I, if I walk in, I'm, I've genuinely got his back. I'm like thinking, oh, he's having a hard time here. Instantly, he will he will snap out and, and soften and just come and have a hug. If I walk in with my sort of well-rehearsed, smiling, eye contact, <laughs> prosodic voice, and just the right thing to say that would, <laughs> he's not having any of it. No. He's absolutely no. not having any of it. No, exactly, yeah. exactly. And then you try that with people on the spectrum who've had 5, 10, 15, 20 years of people doing that to them. It's it's such a rabid insult to your intellect. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's awful. Um, but if you know that person's in there and you you're with them, that's what you're saying. You've got their back. They're, it's so readable, as you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I think being with is what, it's, is what it seems to be all about, you know, whether, whether we're um, – like what we're doing with the, with the plants and the foraging is, is trying to be with the land again, uh, which, is, which is very nice too. But, yeah, about a presence on, um, on land and, 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 uh, and feeling that presence when you're out there, you know, it's, uh, it's quite profound. Not that I necessarily think that the particular plant I'm picking has a personality in, in that sense, but it's a presence. There's definitely a presence that I'm engaging with. Um, these are not just things. Um, one other thing that I sort of wrote down before the chat, which, which I wanted to raise, was just you've, um, I mean, you've mentioned someone else that's talking about this and, and we have touched on it, but in terms of there being like uh, an evolutionary um, like little tip of the root node pushing forwards that we could we could be as a, a species um, becoming something more uh, um, and you've you've intimated that you think that some of what happens with um, autistic people is a profound kind of space and, and way of being that, that is more than what we are now. I mean, perhaps we've been saying it already, but would you like to um, put some flesh on the bones of that? Like, well, where do you think we might I, be going that, that autism is perhaps helping us get to? It's fun if you look at the the vagus nerve and the ventral vagus because it's our, our social engagement system is our highest evolutionary function. So, you know, our bodies evolve and that's that one. It's It's really 
fun to think that our <clears throat> brains are still evolving. And so the, the, the qualities that people on the spectrum bring are vast empathy, vast connection, vast sensitivity, exquisite um, attention, not just to detail and data entry, you know, it's, it's this exquisite connection to the world, but from a very egoless state because they don't get to drive their ego in the same way because they're not ever quite in their body and, you know, people might not be able to self-regulate well so they might be a bit demanding at points or whatever. But but there's a way in which they're also very open and very fluid as people and as people connected to their world, which, which I think is allowed by the dorsal state in a way. You have this openness like you do when you're out foraging and you're, you're – privy to presence you are presence you're present to a present you're you're in that space and you're open and these people um i, I don't like saying we I, I think it's weird um are that when you you have that capacity it's it's can be of higher order and it's fun for me to think about where the world's going to because because what the world needs is for people to be more open to be more collective to be more fluid to think in in wholeness rather than what can i have and what can i get and so you you're having you know this vast bulk of people now starting to generate a certain mindset that probably is going to bring just what we need for the world to be even you know more wonderful or start to regenerate or heal or whatever and I really like that train of thought I especially felt it after I went to this this conference last year it's it mm. it was just a very natural outcome of it that kind of discussion and they're not the only people in the world by any stretch who are sort of talking at this kind of level yeah. who are on the spectrum yeah. So it's a you know it's fun to go higher order intelligence or, but I don't what I don't like is the us and them thing, which is why I don't like we. You know I might think of myself on the spectrum, but I don't. I think all human beings have this capacity as well. I, I think yeah. there's a way you can learn it, open it, shift it, stay in it. People on the spectrum have been locked in it for whatever reason, so they're very very good at it as opposed to this us and them mentality, which I don't yeah. think serves people particularly well. It's good to stick with this common to man thing, like the dilemma is common to man or mankind and, and, and or humanity. And and uh, and so is the um, the aspect, which is more than that. That's also common to us all. But, you yes. know, somebody might be better at football than you and you might want to hang around and see if you can pick a few things up, you know, whatever. Yes, yes. Yeah. exactly. Yes, exactly. And, you know, then there's the the fun lilt of it is that person on the spectrum knows more than I do. And it's a very different lilt than the one we've had before of they're lesser, they don't, you know, they poor things, I'll be nice to them because, you know, they're never yeah. going to be able to be what I am. But you yeah. don't know what you're missing. Yeah, it is weird to, to see that. Yeah, it's like the first being last and the last being first, isn't it, in a way, like turning things yeah. on their heads, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's lovely. So this has been fun. It's a really nice chat. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, well, yeah, very, very it's, it's. Um, yeah, I feel like we've been eating a, 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 a meal that needs quite a lot of digesting and... <laughs> 
I'm 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 wanting to uh, probably be wise and say let's not eat anything more because um, it might be too much to digest. But um, it's literally my dinner time now anyway, so it's good. probably a good time to finish. I'll go find some. I'll go do some foraging. I'll go find some food. Yeah. All right, Holly. Well, I'm delighted that you you were able to respond so quickly and and we could have this chat. Well, you have a beautiful day. Okay, so thank you for listening to this week's World Wild podcast. Uh, if you made it this far, you've been on a long journey with us. And just to you know, link it back to where, where, where we started with talking about new worlds waiting to be born. So I referred in the introduction to sort of new technology, which, which I'm increasingly seeing can have a role in that. And the ultimate end of us having a new role, um, a new relationship to the biosphere. Um, and I referred to sort of ancient wisdom and us re- reconnecting with that. But I think what's what's firmly come into the mix through this conversation is uh, what people are describing as neuro atypical um, people contributing to uh, that that whole complexity of the mix. You know, other ways of being in the world, which are currently not recognised and seen as being, um, I guess, deficient rather than different. So Holly is uh, fairly and squarely. Uh, introduced that to to to, uh, to to my thinking, and uh, is getting the message out to the world there with um, the fact that there are people whose whose uh, nervous system is just a little bit different, and it's not that they can't relate, but that they um, relate differently. So other worlds are possible um, using these these new kinds of relating um, and these other kinds of relating. So that's that's what I wanted to say just to round things off. Also, Holly has made a, a really kind offer. So on her website, you'll find a video. Um, it's actually a, a series of videos, but it's a video package that normally costs about 89 Australian dollars. Um, and if you listen to this podcast, you can have it for free. So the website is www.zebra, which is Z-E-B-R.co, and then forward slash buy dash, the little line, the dash video dot H-T-M-L, and then the code you need to put in in order to get it for free is all capital letters SMILE2020 without a gap. I've just done it myself, so it's pretty straightforward. I'm looking forward to watching that um, a bit later on when it's downloaded. Okay, so it just remains for me to point you to a plant. So the plant I'm going to point you to is Fat Hen. It's in the spinach family, and it's very similar to quinoa, the South American superfood grain plant. And in fact, you can eat the seeds, although they have quite a tough... Uh, outer coating but it's the leaves that i want to point you to just now so the leaves um they're kind of sort of roughly diamond shape but with, with a sort of if you imagine the diamond not being that sharp in its angle because sort of smooth angles the leaves are in opposite pairs on the stems and they are the distinctive thing about them is that they look like they've got meal on them they look like they've been sort of dusted with flour or something if you got really up close with a lens you'd see that those are actually spherical hairs it's amazing it just has to be seen to believe it uh, but they're, they're they're all joined with a little anchor to, to the leaf and they're like tiny little balls and what that what that means is when when rain or dew or any other kind of water goes on the leaves it just rolls straight off it's quite fascinating to see so that's a very clear distinguishing feature later on they have flowers and seeds which are quite distinctive to the family but they, but they probably wouldn't be out now I mention it because I saw lots of it this morning in a field as I walked through um, and they're, they're just little seedlings and lovely for salads. If you've got enough, you might want to wilt them down and use them like spinach as greens. Uh, but they have a lovely kind of creamy flavor. And like quinoa, 
Uh, they're very high in protein and high in calcium. And don't forget, pretty much all wild plants are very also very high in vitamin C and vitamin A, and this one is no exception. Okay, well, as ever, we encourage you to go to the um, podcast page at www.forager.org.uk and you'll see um, links including the one I mentioned for the for the uh, free video and also there should be a link for the eat wild website which is about to go up eat wild exclamation mark this is this is our new foraging zine so that's something you can point people to wherever you are in the world it would be a, a good resource for anybody to who's thinking about starting to forage uh, so some of the plants there are quite universal the plants that we mentioned in the zine that is like plantain and dandelion and also we have a paper version going out we have several thousand copies so this is where we could do with your help if you are in touch with any kind of distribution network we're hoping to get this in the hands of, of uh, people who either don't forage or only forage a little bit uh, especially in low-income households or people in bit marginalized people groups and communities uh, so if you if you if you work for a food bank or you distribute something to to a network of people in that category please get in touch because we, we'd, we'd, we'd like to get a lot of copies for you to uh, help distribute. It's completely free, um, and we certainly want to keep it that way to, um, to those kind of people, although we're looking at maybe having a way for people to pay for it if they can afford to, to just give us more funds. Okay, well, that's it for this week's Worldwide Podcast. 